0: This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. An apparition explained the return
1: of Section 31 and the mother of all Klingons. Episode 3 of Star Trek Discovery was an intense and emotional episode filled with some great continuations of storylines while giving us our first look at the status of the Klingon Empire since the end of the war. From new insights into Tilly's ghost, to information on what's going on with Spock, and the return of my favorite secret organization and its mirror universe operative, this one had it all. It had great scenes of action and tender moments of emotional realizations, Kind of like what we like to have happen here on this show. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. Episode 3 was not what I was expecting in any way, shape, or form, and I mean that in the most positive of ways, folks. It was great to be reintroduced to several characters who we have not seen since the end of Season 1. And at the same time, we were introduced to some new characters who, although were not on screen, or maybe even alive for very long for that matter, were crucial to the storyline for this amazing start to Season 2. As always, this is the premiere podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Point of Light – and I have to hand it to the writers and director, Olatundi usunsamni I got it right. There was a lot of different things going on in this episode, and the flow was wonderful and never felt rushed. You know, in fact, there's so much to talk about this week that at this time I need to bring in some help to break it all down. You know, if I were ruling an empire and trying to thwart political takeovers, I can think of no one to stand at my side to protect and defend me, Unless, of course, it was a spare Klingon-human hybrid hanging around looking for a job. Anyway, as always, he is my special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, Kapla, my friend. And welcome back for another great discussion.
2: Kate
0: <laughs> so I felt like I had to do that right off the bat. Hey, buddy, it's great to be here. Um, great to uh, to finally see the uh, the Khaleesi of the Star Trek universe. Um, <laughs> and also, it's I want to point out that Ken Mitchell had almost as much screen time in this episode as Sam Bartholomeo's had in two episodes. So uh, he and so good. I, I wish we could see more of Ken. I wonder how many Klingons he can come back as. <laughs> and
1: he died twice, just like. <laughs> Just so like did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. It's, uh, it, there was a, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I, was, I was very impressed with the episode because there was so much packed into it and it never felt like it was too overdone. I thought it was really good. So I'm looking forward to the discussion and I think we have somebody very special joining us for that discussion today.
0: Indeed we do. She's one of the co-hosts of Trek FM's Standard Orbit podcast dedicated to the adventures of Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock and the crew of the USS Enterprise wherever she may be. She also happens to be one of our original followers and biggest supporters of Trek Geeks, as well as the creator of Trek Tuesday. She's Haley Stoddart, and she returns to Discovering Trek for her second appearance. Haley, welcome back, my friend.
2: Well, thank you for having me on this uh, very early morning. <laughs> We're going to
0: blame
1: that all on Dan. It is. It is all my fault. Thank you for your sacrifice. The Klingons would be proud. I really appreciate it, Haley. So uh, we got a lot to break down. We got a lot to discuss. But before we do that, Bill, perhaps you can tell our listeners how they can get in touch with us to give their
0: thoughts about Point of Light.
1: Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
0: Hailing frequencies are open all the way to the Klingon Empire and back. On Twitter, we can be found at Discovering Trek, and on Ye Old Book of Faces, you can catch up to us at Facebook.com Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion or leave us comments, questions, or maybe even your predictions on what's going to happen in Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. Plus, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at TrekGeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button. Please do remember, though, that any comments you might leave us might be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan?
1: Black Alert. Black Alert. From here on in, folks, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched season two, episode three of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. That's an order. Go on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Point of Light.
0: Previously on Star Trek Discovery Kate lash Takuma, Laurel, Volk Stardate, 1029.46, Personal Log, Commander Michael Burnham Burnham begins her log by saying that any rational explanation for the seven signals escapes her and, with it, any chance of relationship with her brother, Spock. As she proceeds down a corridor, she's nearly run over by a bunch of command training program recruits running a half marathon. Wait. 13 miles in a vessel the size of Discovery. That's a lot of twists and turns, kind of like tonight's plot. Tilly's making good time until she runs into not May Ahern. We get a bit of, a bit of exposition on who May is again and how Tilly thinks she's the sign of an unfit mind before Tilly needs to make up about 30 seconds or so to come back and win the half-marathon in an all-out sprint. She is quickly congratulated by Saru, Michael, and, well, not May. The ship goes to yellow alert. Burnham and Saru enter the bridge. An unknown vessel is approaching, a small craft with a diplomatic call sign requesting permission to transfer a dignitary. The ship is recognized as Vulcan, and Michael recognizes the ship as Sarex. Captain Pike is concerned because... He imagines Sarek has been receiving their updates, along with the news that Spock has admitted himself into a psychiatric hospital. Burnham is sent to the transporter room to greet Sarek, but is surprised when her foster mother, Amanda Grayson, materializes on the transporter pad. She asks Michael not to react, that Spock needs help, and Michael is the only one she can turn to. In a world where there are lots of Klingons, all the Klingons are going to Klingon. In the Klingon Council Chamber, Lorel and Torchbearer Ash Tyler present the new D-7 Battlecruiser to the High Council. Hey, that looks familiar. It's going to be the new ship for a united Klingon Empire and will bear the symbol of the Empire alone, and not the individual houses. Oh, and Tyler's going to oversee the production of the D-7. Everyone's all jazzed to remain Klingon and all that, except Kolsha. He's not a big fan of Tyler, and Colshaw accuses Chancellor Laurel of allowing a human into the council when he only belongs in her bedroom. Laurel chastises the father of Cole, telling him his old ways are gone, and he should remove the war paint he still wears. Ash challenges Colshaw and demands he remove the paint. They mix it up a bit, and ultimately, Tyler tries to rub some of the war paint off Colshaw's face, telling him that it's the torchbearer's job to get his hands dirty so the Chancellor doesn't have to whether he's human, Klingon, or both. Kate Lish would be so proud. Back aboard Discovery. Amanda and Michael speak in a corridor. Amanda says that she went to Starbase 5 to see Spock, and they wouldn't give her any information, not even as the wife of a Federation ambassador. Well, she did the only logical thing a mother could do. She stole his encrypted medical records, and now she wants Michael's help to decrypt them. On Kronos, Tyler tells Laurel that he's not exactly thrilled that Eujili. Her uncle doesn't even acknowledge him. I mean, he's the torchbearer for crying out loud. Laurel says that her uncle and the rest of House Mackay believe in him, and that there are enough enemies that he doesn't have to dream up imaginary ones. They discuss how to handle Kolshaw. Tyler wants Laurel to treat him like Voke, and she does by showing her her love for him. Wow. That display of emotion is hard for Tyler. While he knows it's for Vogue, to Tyler, it still feels like a, a violation. And that's a revelation that causes Lorel to instantly repel back. Litch On Discovery, Michael and Amanda meet with Captain Pike. They've brought him Spock's medical records and they're requesting access to them. Pike declines, saying that it's a violation of the rules and his mother wouldn't like that. Pike contacts Starbase 5 to ask for an update. Pike is told that Spock isn't there anymore. It seems he murdered three doctors and then escaped. Pike is also told that several of Spock's files are missing and an investigation is underway. Hmm, I wonder where those could be. Captain Pike ends the call and orders Burnham to decrypt the files. Michael and Amanda review Spock's medical records and see a log entry by a doctor explaining that Spock has demonstrated emotional responses and extreme empathy deficits. They discuss the possibilities of what may have occurred and whether or not Spock could be innocent or guilty. Amanda tells Michael that she wasn't a real mother to Spock, that she wasn't what he needed. Michael tells her that she gave Spock plenty of love, and Amanda says it was different with Michael, that she gave to her foster daughter all the joy and emotion that she was not permitted to give to Spock. If he had been permitted to embrace his human side and his emotions, it could have saved him all of this trouble. They hug as the medical files begin to display images of the Red Angel drawn by Spock, Amanda says that she thought Spock had left the angel in the past, and that he started seeing it when he was a small boy, and it had changed him. Michael receives an urgent call and leaves to take it. In her quarters, Michael takes that holographic call from Ash Tyler. He tells her that Laurel could be in danger of being overthrown by Cole and Michael promises to run that information up the chain of command immediately. Their current personal situations are discussed, Michael, her foster brother, and Tyler, his Cling on this. Kate Letch Tyler's feeling a little stuck. He's understood his role there, but now he feels he's hurting Laurel and her chancellorship. On the bridge, Saru addresses the command training program recruits It's the shadow exercise time and their opportunity to work and build rapport with a senior officer and see firsthand what those duties entail. Tilly reports to Captain Pike as not May protests in her ear that Pike is not the captain. She insists she needs to see the scary captain, which Tilly understands to mean Gabriel Lorca. Not May says, no, the the shorter blonde one. Pike tells Tilly to take the center seat, and they begin her training. Not May continues to berate her, and she eventually yells at May, who no one else can see. That doesn't look too good. Everyone on the bridge is witness to this, and Saru assumes she's yelling at Captain Pike. Tilly stands and exits the bridge, saying she quits. Tyler sits alone in a room on Kronos, trying to rub the paint off his hands from before, and he realizes he's not alone. He's being watched by a hooded figure who, incidentally, is not Lush. He picks up a weapon and follows the figure quickly. He enters Uncle Eugilly's house, threatening him, but her uncle says that he is not spying. He also tells Tyler it isn't him that hides things from Ash, but rather Laurel, and he's got something he can't keep from Tyler any longer. He takes him to a room, and inside is an albino Klingon baby in a crib. Vok, son of none, now has a son of his own. Laurel explains to Tyler that she learned she was pregnant as Vok was being transformed. She couldn't activate him on Discovery while carrying a child, so the baby was gestated ex-utero. That's kind of neat. She admits that she has yet to meet or even name the child. He's a vulnerability that she can't afford. Tyler is understandably upset that she didn't tell him about the child, and she says that she wanted him to be able to return to a human life without obligation. He says he's committed to being there, and she questions that by pointing out that he called Michael Burnham. Tyler recalls some of Vogue's memories, and Laurel says their love was greater than that of Kate Lish and Lucaris. Ash insists that while he can never be Volk again, he can promise her a new love story. He can be devoted to her, and they can still remain a family and raise their son. On board discovery, Michael asks when the angel first appeared to Spock, and Amanda recounts a story about Spock running away from home following the bombing by the logic extremists. Spock had a vision of the red angel showing him where Michael was, and Sarek went searching and found her. Amanda and Sarek always believed that Spock had used logic to figure out where Michael had been, but Spock never wavered. He said the red angel was real. And Amanda said that vision changed Spock forever. Michael says that Spock didn't change because of the vision, he changed because of her. Her presence was a danger to the family, and if the logic extremists couldn't get to her, they would try to get to her shadow, Spock. As a result, Michael had to wound him deeply enough to keep him away. Amanda asks what she did, and Michael struggles to answer. Amanda deduces that whatever it was, it must have hurt Spock irreparably. It caused a rift, and And Michael apologizes. She says she's tried to make amends, but Spock isn't interested. She says she won't give up on him, and she will find him. Amanda says, no, she will. After kissing Michael on the cheek, and she leaves. Back on Kronos, you know, the home planet of Kate Lish. Ash and Lorel enter the nursery to find her Uncle Ujili hanging from the ceiling. That's not good. The baby's crib is empty, and Coleshaw appears as a hologram holding the child— who is also now sporting war paint like he is. The paint that Tyler rubbed from Colshaw's face was laced with sensor implants and used as a listening device. Colshaw says that he was only trying to spy on her strategies and didn't imagine he was going to discover a spy of his own. He knows that Tyler contacted Starfleet, and that's not going to sit well with the Council at all. Laurel asks Kolsha what he wants, and it's simple. He wants control of the Empire. You know, i bet this kind of stuff didn't happen in the time of Key Lish. Tilly enters her quarters to find Michael lying on the bed, and she's been crying. Michael asks Tilly what's going on, because she needs a problem she can solve. Not May reappears, asking forgiveness for her outburst on the bridge, and Tilly tells Michael about Not May and explains that she's been seeing a ghost. May is just wearing Tilly down, and she's losing it, in her own words. Burnham helps Tilly see that May isn't a ghost, but something else. And she doesn't need sickbay. She needs stamets. Colshaw shows up with a pad that he wants Lorel to sign, handing him the Empire. They exchange some insults, as Klingons do, and it leads to a fight with bladed weapons. Seriously, people, there's a baby in the room. Lorel and Ash kill the first handful of no-name Klingons in a big fight before going on to the boss level. Colshaw takes them both on, but he holds out a weapon that paralyzes them both instantly, freezing them in place on their knees. Colshaw takes this opportunity to get Lorel's fingerprint on the pad, abdicating her chancellorship. He plans to kill them both. But a hooded figure beams in with some kind of attack drone and kills all the Klingons. Well, except Colshaw. He's in a giant bubble, allowing Lorel herself to kill him once she's unfrozen. The hooded figure is none other than Philippa Giorgio. You know, the former emperor of the Terran Empire. She explains that she's there to protect Laurel's chancellorship. Oh, but don't call her Emperor. She's a retired Starfleet captain who is now a Starfleet Security Consultant. Giorgio speaks to Laurel alone and tells her that Tyler and the child are liabilities. Laurel won't choose between them, and her position. Well, Giorgio isn't exactly giving Laurel a choice. In the engineering lab, Saru talks with Tilly about her return to the command training program once they solve her problem. Stamets discovers that Tilly has been infected with a eukaryotic organism, a multicellular fungus, which could have evolved from the mirror universe spores that rained down in Engineering. Stamets uses the attraction between the spores and the dark matter asteroid to suck the organism out of her. And, oh yeah, by the way, it's gonna hurt. The organism is driven out and floats above Engineering. Sulu calls Intruder Alert and to engage Quarantine Program Alpha Omega, putting a force field around the organism. Tilly loses consciousness and security. Is called engineering. In the Klingon High Council, Lorel explains to them that she had a baby with Vok, and that she made the human torchbearer as a tribute to Vok. She can no longer say his name. Turns out, he was a traitor who communicated with the Federation, betraying them. She said that anyone who thinks her loyalty to him outweighs her loyalty to the Empire better think again, as she pulls up the severed head of Ash Tyler. Okay. Oh, and then she drops it into the fire. What the Kaelish? She goes on to say that the traitor slain her son, and then she holds up the head of her infant child. Huh. He'd have killed her too if Colshaw hadn't intervened and gave his life to defend the chancellor. Her child is dead, and she can bear a child but once, but now they are her children, this empire, and they should no longer call her chancellor, but instead call her... Mother A vessel, which looks like a Starfleet ship with folding nacelles, prepares to go to warp speed. On board is Philippa Giorgio and Ash Tyler. He's very much alive. Oh, and so is his infant son. This was all a clever ruse to give Lorel the power she needed to maintain her chancellorship, and for her son and his father to survive. The baby will be transported to the monastery on Borath. He will never know his parents, but he'll be safe. Giorgio tells Tyler to stick around. Leland takes the ship to warp. He tells Giorgio that control values Tyler's skill set. They'd like her to work on her recruitment speech, however, and Giorgio says that Tyler is in. Klysh would not be happy about this.
1: I have one suggestion for your next uh, recap that involves the Klingon Empire, my friend. What's that? Do it in Klingon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, as it is, uh, we're going to see if anybody turned this last recap into a drinking game of how many times I said, Key Litch! Um <laughs> That never gets old. No, it, it, never gets old. it never does. And I don't even know what the count is myself. So if somebody happens to find, figure it out, let me know because I'm curious.
1: Okay. Everybody, you have homework.
0: Trainees, to the briefing room.
1: Well, Bill and Haley, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, let's first get your high-level thoughts. Was it a thumbs up? Or was it a thumbs down? And why? And Haley, let's start with you.
2: Uh, it was, upon first viewing, a middle-of-the-road for me. Um, I was not impressed. I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, upon second viewing... I'm a little bit higher than that, but it's not like a major thumbs up for me, but it's not a major thumbs down either. Mm-hmm.
1: I can understand that. I think with last week's unbelievable episode and one of the best Trek episodes, in my opinion, in the last 20 years in, in terms of a Star Trek story, it, I think it was possible, quite possible that there was going to be a letdown uh, for some people. I did give it a thumbs up. I didn't think it was as amazing uh, as New Eden, but I, I did, I did love this episode. I love that. All three storylines this week uh, were very intense. Uh, But i got to say, honestly, the Red Angel, Spock, Burnham storyline was the one that was the least interesting for me this week when you look at the other two. Uh, The Klingons and Tilly were in the forefront this week, and I love how those stories went, bringing up new questions and new plot possibilities. And I loved how it focused so much on family, which I'm sure we're going to get into later on, Uh, whether Burnham and Amanda Uh, or the crew as a family, or Laurel and Tyler having a little white bambino. It really played out well, so I gave it a thumbs up, Bill.
0: I have to say I gave it a thumbs up, too. Not clearly as, you know... uh excitedly and uh, as I did the last couple of weeks but like Haley you know I I thought it was good There's just there's a lot there in this episode I think this episode's complexity rivaled some of those Dominion War episodes in Star Trek Deep Space Nine but it was all important character growth um, they set up a whole lot in this episode that I think will be payoffs further on down this season or maybe a future season or who knows maybe even a future series um, which I think is a definite possibility.
1: Yeah. um, So, like you said, and like Haley said, there's a lot that was going on in this episode, so let's start right into it. And one of the things I liked about the very beginning of this episode, it was a last time on Star Trek Discovery, Klingon style. And I thought that was great. We had the entire um, last time, it was all stuff from season one with the Klingons. So let's focus in on Kronos and the Klingons to start. And uh, we got to see... How Laurel uh, and Tyler have been getting along and things have not been going along so great with running the Empire, at least at the beginning, Bill. Um, I thought it was interesting to see how things have developed and she's still got a lot of of enemies uh, coming at her at all sides.
0: Yeah, especially because of Tyler. Um, Mm. You know, a lot of people aren't happy that a human, who's really a Klingon is sort of sitting at her right hand as the torchbearer, even though he was anointed by Takuma himself. (laughs) Uh, I feel the need to do that with these names. I don't know why. Um, I think that it it poses an interesting problem for Laurel that, I mean, Mm. Section 31 gives her an out on later in the episode, um, without giving too many spoilers yet, before we give the spoiler warning. But um, I I think that Laurel has a chancellorship in turmoil, and unfortunately, Tyler is in as much turmoil as Laurel's chancellorship.
1: This is, this is completely unrelated to what you're talking about, but it popped yeah. into my head while you were talking. And we've seen, we, we've seen what's going on with the Klingons uh, and the Empire right now and all the problems that she is having. But we saw a different look for the Klingons. Um, since season one And that was, a, that was a point of contention for a lot of fans Last year with season one And how the Klingons looked um, They've explained a lot of that And we've now seen an evolution already Into how they appeared on screen And it was a good mix Of what we're used to seeing With the Klingons of TNG Plus a mix of what we saw last season Haley, did you have anything you wanted to add In regards to that, to that new look? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Um, did you like the explanation? That kind of thing
2: Um, yeah, I actually, I like the look of the Klingons now that we're getting them. It's, it's post-war. They've explained why, uh, they shaved their heads during times of war. Um, I like that some of them had a little bit of that tie-in with the Klingons from the original series, um, with the funny little, like, Chinese Fu Man Mm -hmm. mustache going on, um, to uh, to the point about Laurel and having this issue with, with being chancellor, you have to look at the society that, yes, the, the houses are, are popular, but we've always seen a struggle with the women running these houses. And, and she's a woman. And now she's wanting to run, not only run an entire empire, but bring this empire together that's been uh, separate, 24 houses. So... She's going to have, have problems. Um, I was not happy about the whole last time. Like, really, Kate, I remember it. I know there's, you know there's a lot of nerd stuff out there to try and remember, but really, I, I did not forget any of that happened.
1: Okay, now I feel bad that I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when we talk about the Klingons that we saw, uh, we saw um, an uncle. Uh, of Laurel's I believe who didn't care for what she was doing and, and y- y- you brought up a really good point Bill and that's Tyler's not human he looks human and was manipulated to look human for the war but he really is Klingon so the whole idea that um, she has a human at her side just, just kind of really didn't make sense to me but then again people only look at the surface I guess a lot of times and I guess they do that in Klingon society but speaking of the surface, Cole Shaw he was badass and uh, I was shocked and did not realize until after the episode aired that it was Ken Mitchell. And that was, that was just so cool for me. Um- I really was bummed out that he died at the end of this episode because I would have been cool to see him uh, later on and see how he was trying to take control. What did you think about this character? He played a very important role, but unfortunately, he didn't last very long.
0: I think this was a fantastic character. I mean, he was very much in line with some of the Klingons we've seen before. I mean, Duras came to mind almost instantly, you know, the way he sort of undermined the Klingon chancellor and wanted to take power of his own. You know, these machinations still happen in Klingon culture, even when they're trying to get the band together. Um, It's no surprise that 200 years down the road in Next Gen that these kinds of things are still happening because it's the way their society is. I'm wondering now how many times Ken Mitchell can come back as other Klingons in this house, and I think that would be fantastic, honestly. Let's bring this guy back as many times as we can because he plays a fantastic Klingon.
1: I would actually throw this out there that I would not be... um, upset if we saw him as a younger core Mm. at some point Um, it's possible they are of the house of core which I actually am going to get into later on but um I thought he was a great character. I liked the some of the weaponry that he had. It was interesting to see that paralyzing blade thing that kind of reminded me of Darth Maul from the Phantom Menace, which we will not speak of here. But uh, Haley, what did you think of of Kolsha and his henchmen and what he was trying to do in regards to taking over? And it's really interesting that all you need to do is put a uh, little drop of blood and a fingerprint on a pad, and boom, you lose the ship.
2: Yeah, it was really. It was interesting, but you could understand where he was coming from. I mean, he's an older Klingon. His hair is, is white. So obviously, you know, he's still ingratiated in the older ways of, you know, no, we don't need to be together. And, oh, I want to be chancellor because I'm a dude and uh, I'm an older dude and it should be me that's in charge. Um why should we follow this younger person who has potentially ideals for us to no longer be at war with the Federation and everybody else that we see as our enemies? Um, and, but he was really an interesting character. Um, I was totally blown away when he said that there was listening devices in that paint. I was like, what the crap? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> like, who thinks of that?
1: <laughs> I know, right? I was just going to bring that up. He kind of stole my thunder a little bit. I was like, huh, that is some technology that I would like to have. I would put it on Bill, and then just listen to everything he says bad about me.
0: Which is amazing because we've never seen a Klingon engineer to save our lives. Fifty years of Star Trek, we've well, never seen a Klingon build something. They
2: obviously do. I know, I right? Mean, or they or they yeah. take it.
0: One of the two. <laughs> well, we. Do.
2: But it kind of gave that. Um, it it gave Voke that uh, out damn spot kind of moment.
0: I don't know if you yep. guys thought of that. No, it absolutely yep. does. You're right. Yeah. So let's talk about what. Could
1: quite possibly be the most important Klingon of this week's episode, but the one that had the least amount of dialogue, and that would be the little baby. That was a shocker. That was not, I was not expecting that. When he was walking up to that, whatever it was, and looking in, I had no idea what it was gonna be until they actually showed it. I thought it was gonna be a head of somebody that had gotten killed or something. I had no clue that it was gonna be a baby. I was totally shocked. Haley?
2: Yeah, that was That was unexpected uh, For sure, but an interesting um, Plot twist, uh, great device For Laurel and vox's Story throughout this episode So
1: I'm kind of wondering, I did like how they Explained why she wasn't pregnant while she was prisoner on discovery i thought that was another good writing aspect very subtle not really thrown in your face but a good way to let the story continue to flow the one question i had about that i guess is when did they have time to be walking along the cliffs of kronos uh professing their love during the war when they were when they were exiled so to speak that was a little odd to me but something that i'm willing to overlook for the benefit of the storyline did bill did you think anything of that or was it something that kind of you were like what
0: well, we know that some time passed between um, Battle at the Binary Stars and Context is for Kings, because Michael Burnham went f- was on the prison transport and was picked up by the Discovery. So there was yep. a little bit of time in there, and we know that it was uh, still a little bit yet before Lorca met Tyler. So Tyler could have been dropped on board that ship at any point. Mm-hmm. So there could con- conceivably have been some time where maybe they did walk along the cliffs and, and have some love connection moments. Thanks. You're That's welcome. Nice
1: Call back. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, and we're going to get into it probably a little bit more towards the end of our discussion. But uh, that final scene on Kronos with um, bringing everybody together and her professing that she is the mother of Klingon—that was one of the more powerful speeches that we've heard um, in Star Trek on non federation ships, I guess you could say does that sound a little strange?
0: Oh. No, I I think that's that's right. In fact I think it was almost as equally powerful as the scene between uh Lorel and Tyler when they're talking about the baby and you know uh, Tyler says you know he looked at, uh, at Well, Voke, you know, and and Laurel had a love, but Tyler looks at it as a violation and she sort of draws back and pulls her hand away. And the look on Laurel's face just totally sells that entire scene. You know, you can tell that's not, that wasn't her intent. You can tell that she loves Voke, Tyler, Voke, Tyler. And, (laughs) and she, she's really, you know, she realizes at that point, you know, there's no future here with us because he's always going to look at me as the person who violated him.
1: Right. Right, good stuff in Chronos. I, I I like where the story is headed with that aspect of the story. But let's move on to the next uh, storyline that I really enjoyed, and that was the Tilly storyline. Tilly and May, she's obviously struggle struggling struggling um, with things that are going on. Little uh, Joe name thrown in there uh, for your sports fan. But I'm very happy that I was kind of 50% right on my on my explanation as to what was going on with Tilly. She did have something drop on her shoulder, and it is key to this situation. It was not a dead person, though. It's just another alien glob life form thing. So I'll, I'll take credit where I can take credit. I really enjoyed the Tilly scenes this week. We've talked a co- for a couple of weeks now about Tilly and if she's if, if there's too much humor, if the writers are trying to do a little bit too much to steer her in that direction, and that was all thrown out the window this week, I thought. Everything with Tilly was very serious, very stressful. Um, she's scared. She thinks she's losing her mind. The bridge scene is the first one that comes to mind with how she was trying to ignore what was going on with May because everybody was watching her, and then she just broke. I really thought that scene was powerful and showed a lot for not only the bridge crew but for Tilly. Haley, what do you think?
2: I, as much as I, I love Mary Wiseman and I, I like Tilly. I'm, I'm kind of a little overwhelmed with the, we've got to have a Tilly plot. This is the third episode, and we've had a Tilly plot. And I get that they're trying to show because she's on the command track, and you know, there's this stuff going on with this, you know, fungal parasite that's in her that's manifesting as someone she used to know, um, which is totally understandable, our brains are interesting. Um, But at the same time, I'm also, I'm getting a little worn out with it. Like I get that it needs to be there because obviously it's gonna be a major plot device throughout the season, but do we need to have an A, B, or C plot that's about Tilly every single episode? And it's not that I don't love her character, but I feel like it can get overused really quick and it can turn people off to the character.
1: Bill, to Haley's point, do you think that might have something to do with the fact that Tilly became the runaway um, favorite character last year, it seems, in season one? Everybody talked about Tilly, uh, and, and from what I saw on social media, more than uh, than other characters. Do you think that they've purposely done this, or do you think it's just the way that the story's going at the moment?
0: I think it's the way the story's going at the moment. I think at some point it's going to pivot to more of a, a Stamets-centric storyline because i think this is going to get us closer to to stamets and culber again i think this is going to lead to some revelation that says well wait a second uh hugh's still out there um maybe we can find hugh i I, because why would um may or or not may um care about the captain you know um why would she even know about him so uh, I have a feeling it's going to trend toward that. I don't think it's necessarily in in direct response to the popularity of Mary Wiseman as Tilly. Um, that doesn't hurt it, and Mary Wiseman, as as we all agree, is fantastic. But I, I think it was it, it, like like you alluded alluded to earlier, Dan. It was much easier to watch this week because there wasn't forced humor. Right. You know, these were things that were happening in context with the character that were all great. So it was actually some really great scene work.
1: Do you think that there is some Confusion with May and Captain Stamets, because if I remember correctly, and I might be confusing what was going on, this alien manifestation is of the Mirror Universe, and maybe she was thinking that the Stamets that we're seeing um, is the Stamets that she was dealing with before, which was Mirror Universe Stamets, who may have had a little bit of some skullduggery going on.
0: Well, we don't know that it's necessarily exclusive to the mirror universe we know that it has to do with uh, you know the mycelium on some level and it's bacteria mm-hmm. you know that that is somehow become sentient and and somewhat aware although it doesn't understand the human experience so it may not necessarily be 100 percent mirror as much as it is 100 uh, percent weird
1: okay Haley, i saw you nod in your head what do you say
2: i i think so Um, And the only reason I say that a little bit is because when they're on the bridge and Tilly is, is shadowing Pike, essentially, and she's like, you know, May, air quotes, is saying, you know, that's not the captain. The captain's like meaner and he's too nice to be the captain. Well, the mirror parts, and granted, yes, Stamets was a jerk when we first met him in the first season, (laughs) but he's not. So clearly something is going on there where it has to be a little bit of a mirror because they were in the mirror episode when that spore, and, you know, they were coming back from the mirror universe when that spore fell on her. So I think it is a little bit just because she, she was saying, well, he's meaner. Sure. You know, the captain's a jerk, essentially. Like, they're scared of the captain. Why would you be scared of Stamets?
1: And everybody, including uh, Tilly, thought that May was talking about Lorca, which was an interesting twist later on. Uh, When we're talking about the um, intensity of Tilly's scenes this week, uh, I have to go to the quarter scene when she was talking with Burnham. And she kind of broke down and, and, and told Her everything that was going on this is another perfect example why this episode focuses on family uh, and doesn't have to be blood family for that matter these two have been uh, sharing the same quarters together for a while now and it's obvious that their relationship has built up and uh, Haley you have a uh, degree in this type of, of behavioral sciences I guess is a good way to put it how do you see that scene unfolding in your mind as professionally
2: yeah, so we confide in someone that we can trust really well. We haven't seen if there's a ship's counselor aboard. I'm I'm guessing that there might be. I mean, you know, we only ever see one in TOS and we see one in TNG, but then after that, we in DS Nine we get Dax later on. So it makes sense that if there was one on board, Tilly obviously did not feel that she could trust that person, and is not sure that that person would not go to Captain Pike or go to Saru and explain what's going on. And she's obviously so scared. Um, and it's understandable that you would turn to somebody that you feel that you can fully trust who necessarily wouldn't rat you out. Or if they did, it was coming from a place of love and friendship and concern for you, which is exactly what happens. Um, it's, I love that scene. I think that was probably my favorite of the entire episode, um, outside of one other one, but we haven't gotten to that part yet. That's another plot line. But, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, who doesn't do that when they're super stressed?
1: Bill, do you do that when you're super stressed?
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, if I admit to this now, then everybody knows. No. Um, I, I think that I have to agree with Haley. That scene was one of my favorites in the episode simply because of the vulnerability that was shown. You know, Dan, you've, you've talked a little bit about, uh, about the TNG episode, Family. At the top, and uh, I have to say that that scene was very indicative for me at the time. Picard is in the uh, in the vineyard with his brother, and just covered in mud, and just loses it and breaks down. and And I thought that that particular scene with Tilly and Michael was very powerful because Michael is helping her realize: look, it's not in your head. It's you know, it's there's something real here. You're not seeing a ghost. You're seeing something that is not supposed to be here. So uh, I I thought it was just It was a wonderfully written scene And I think that the context That Haley provides Just makes it You know That much more wonderful In hindsight
2: Thanks Haley (laughs) Cheers So I'll bring the science in Anytime
1: (laughs) There you go um, so of course uh, This season is focusing on The Red Angel and the Red Birth, So we can't leave that out So let's talk a little bit About Burnham and Amanda Now uh, as I mentioned before I think I mentioned before This was the storyline this week That had the least interest for me And of course it's the It's the focus of the entire season But it just There was other things going on that, that grabbed my attention A little bit more But there were some key things That went on Very shocked and very surprised And happy to see Amanda Show up this week We've not seen a lot of Amanda And she And instead of just having A couple of lines Um, of maybe flashbacks from memories. She had a lot to do in this episode. And Bill, let's start with you. Um, It obviously, obviously there has been uh, some stress in that family dynamic for a long time, starting with the kids' childhood. And as we saw, Amanda's part of the "Quote unquote problem that has happened in the family because she felt she could not show the affection that she needed to show Spock when
0: he was young. That was an interesting revelation for me. I, I really thought it was. I mean, I'm glad she had that outlet with Michael, but it explains a lot about the whole Sarek family dynamic. Although it, it doesn't quite explain how close Spock and his mother are, because yes. they are close. I mean, you know, we see that to some extent in Journey to Babel. We see it in the uh, in the Kelvin timeline." Um, we see it in Star Trek 4 at the yes. beginning.
1: Star Trek 4, so yeah. yeah.
0: You know, they, they clearly have a, a very close relationship. So uh, maybe there's something that happens after that to right the ship. I'm not sure. Uh, there kind of has to be. I, I do think overall that this storyline seemed the one that was the most jammed into this episode, even though it's part of the overall arc of the season. Mm-hmm. At one point in the episode, we just leave that and we never come back to it. It's all Klingon the rest of the time for the most part. Uh, Klingon and Tilly. So uh, I did think that that was an interesting decision. I felt like maybe that uh, maybe some of those Red Angel Spock, search for Spock scenes could have been uh, maybe distributed somewhere else in a different episode. Um, yes. uh, but I, it, it, it was kind of weird to me that the whole episode starts off Red Angel heavy and then all of a sudden er, pivot yes. and then it never comes back to it.
1: I found it interesting, and I wasn't sure if I misread this, and Haley, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. When Burnham talks about but doesn't reveal what happened and what she did to make Spock distance himself from her, Amanda's obviously taken aback from that. And then all of a sudden she's just like, well, you don't have to find him. I'm going to find him. She takes a medical card and just leaves. I didn't know if that was more I'm pissed off at you for what you did even though I did bad things too. I'm just going to be mad at you and leave. Or – She's even more determined now to find him to help seal that rift that Burnham created between the two. Which side do you fall on that?
2: I I fall on the, I think she was upset. Um, and I don't think necessarily that it was, um, as Burnham explains, you know, logic extremists wanted to hurt her and to save, to protect Spock, Amanda, and Sarek you know, she she quote-unquote wounded Spock so he wouldn't quote-unquote be be her little shadow. Mm-hmm. And I think it was more that even though she said that, she still was not willing to say exactly what happened. Okay. I mean, we keep getting a little bit closer to, okay, something obviously happened, but Burnham still isn't wanting to admit fully what happened between her and Spock that causes this rift, that causes... You know, kind of the family dynamic to fall apart, so to say. So I think she was. I think she was upset. Um, you know, she admitted what she did, and and that was so sad. Like that, that kind of hurt. Yeah. Like you could feel her pain mm-hmm. that she was willing to. That she pulled back her emotions from Spock because Sarek wanted Spock to be raised in the Vulcan way. Sure. And um, you know, she clearly has some struggles with that herself. But I think she was upset.
1: Bill, same same thoughts or are you of another uh thought process on
2: no that? i'm i'm lined up one hundred percent on
0: that one i I feel like uh <laughs> anything I try to add to this is just is going to be repetition so uh, <laughs> uh let's uh
1: I, I i really i really am enjoying As I said just a moment ago How involved Amanda appears to be in At least so far In in the episodes that we've seen her in season 2 And I I certainly hope it continues Now, something that we had a return to Which everybody knows who listens to Discovering Trek or Trek Geeks knows I am very excited about Is we finally got the return Of section 31 and Emperor Captain Giorgio, <laughs> because she kind of flips back and forth. I thought there were some great humor scenes with her tonight, or, or in this week's episode. Uh, I'm very excited about um, Section 31 being involved. I did find it kind of convenient that she just happened to show up uh, at the right time, but then again, Section 31 seems to be able to do that whenever they want. Uh, I I am very excited about this because it also makes me think about the upcoming. Uh, series that CBS uh, announced recently. So, Bill, you know how I feel about Section Thirty-One. What did you think about the weaponry, the costuming, the ship, all that stuff? What do you think, man?
0: Uh, weaponry, I think, was a little more advanced than I expected. But I guess with Section Thirty-One, um, that that could be part of the game, right? I mean, they're going to have these things that they develop on their own. Uh, costumes. Hey, everybody's dressed in black leather. That's what I expect from section 31. (laughs) Um, uh, and as far as them looking to shore up the Klingon, um, empire and to make sure the chancellor isn't going anywhere, I can absolutely see that being in their wheelhouse, you know, to preserve the long-term stability of the galaxy. Um, I, I have to believe that that's part of section 31, not just, you know, making sure starfleet, you know, stays around, but making sure that another war doesn't break out that compromises earth and the Federation. So I was all on board with the section 31 stuff. I think it lays the groundwork for some interesting, uh, elements of, of, of the section 31 series. If they follow those threads through,
1: I think it could be very interesting that this whole thing could backfire and kind of does. When you think of it, if section 31 is so, um, Uh, driven to make sure that the uh, Chancellor uh, continues to rule and that the Empire continues to build in a uh, cohesive manner. As we see later in Star Trek history, that's not a good thing because of what the Empire is like when we get to TOS uh, and further. So maybe a little bit backfire, and it kind of makes me think with what we saw with the technology and how driven they are to make sure that their own um, ideas of what should be taking place in the galaxy are... I wonder if they had anything to do with the development of that awesome D seven battle cruiser that we saw at the beginning of the episode that they were working on creating for the Empire. Just throwing it out there, Haley. Or Bill. Oh go ahead, Haley.
2: Um, I mean potentially. It's it's mirror Emperor Giorgio. I mean really that that's mm-hmm. we can be honest, that's who it is. Mm-hmm. She can call herself captain. Oh yeah. Um I think that might be partly why some of their tech is more advanced than the century that obviously we're in, Um, because it's a mirror. She's from the mirror universe. She's going to remember some of this stuff. Um, I'm sorry, Dan. I know you love the mirror stuff. I'm like, meh, on it.
1: I know you are. (laughs) I love it. But I will say- Their ship
2: was really too shiny for space.
1: Just saying. (laughs) Like,
2: on the inside and the outside, I was like, that's a shiny ship. (laughs) And the folding nacelles? No.
0: No. Oh, wow. I, like the, I love those folding nacelles, Bill. I can't wait to see the Eagle Moss version of that ship. I'm not. I'm just. I'm <laughs> going to be honest. Um, Mr. Robinson. It's going to break. <laughs> I, I already want that Eagle Mush ship on my desk. Um, so uh, that, that's, I, thought, I thought that was cool. I, I hope that they do maybe rough it up a little bit because, you know, they are a clandestine organization. But I have a feeling that Section 31 in this timeline is going to be kind of like the IMF in Mission Impossible. Um, where they take on these missions that, you know, uh, are are very covert and very secret. and Nobody's supposed to know it's them. So I think it's going to be Star Trek mission impossible to some extent, which is kind of great because it's the two big properties of Desilu um, (laughs) essentially coming together in Star Trek.
1: Maybe the ship just got launched or came out of a space car wash. That's all I'm saying. Space car wash. (laughs) Oh, man. We feel that now is the time to reflect on those that we have lost. In this week's episode of Star Trek: Discovery, it's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. 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 He's dead Jim. Well, Bill, last week uh, we were spared from losing anyone, so I guess it just makes sense that this week uh, we'd make up for that. Uh, That and the fact that there were Klingons, so there was going to be a lot of blades, a lot of blood, and a lot of death.
0: You know, Dan, this week a whole bunch of warriors are in their place in Stovacor. Bring on the death howl for the following followers of (laughs) Keyleth! First off, we have Ujili, Lorel's uncle. And then we've got Cole's dad, Cole Shaw. It's a whole family affair we have going on. Also, we have about 10 followers of the House of Kor. Um, They were, you know, Cole Shaw's henchmen. And uh, they certainly met a (laughs) a rather interesting end, especially when Georgiou beamed in. And then, of course, we have fake Tyler's head. That kind of died. And then fake albino baby Klingon head. Oh, uh, well, you know, thanks to Laurel, Tyler, and Philippa Giorgio for riding the ship and giving us content for this week's segment. It was almost Game of Thrones style, I got to say. We're going to pour out a glass of Klingon blood wine for those warriors who tried to keep Colshaw. you know, it, to usurp the, uh, the chancellorship. So that's, that's what we got this week, Dan. Lots and lots of red shirts.
1: Well, What did that say? It said, we raise a glass at (laughs) St. Paul for this week's (laughs)
0: Richard." Local. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek, and we are just thrilled to have them back for another season. Now available, Dan, is the amazing Disco Enterprise pin that was just released. It is bold and beautiful, and it's just the latest of Star Trek pins available from Fansets. You all have to check out their amazing line of pins at fansets.com. Now, do yourself a favor and head on over to their site and put a bunch of pins or maybe even pin accessories into your shopping cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code, MOTHER. That's M-O-T-H-E-R in all capital letters. Do that, and you're going to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is uh, going to be available to use until Sunday, February 10th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
1: Awesome. That disco pin is great. It is beautiful. Love the new enterprise, Bill. And it's depicted at warp speed, I might add, so it's just cool. So, Bill, I do have to ask you, you remember that special TOS Delta communicator pin that we uh, started selling exclusively at trekgeeks.com slash pins last month? I do. I think you might remember that. Well, we are very proud to announce that the next pin in this series will be available on February 15th, and it is the TOS Delta tricorder pin. It looks gorgeous. You guys are going to love it. Uh, we are going to be selling it both at fansets.com and at our site, trekgeekscom pins. So check it out. And for those of you that are interested in purchasing both of the communicator and tricorder pins, keep your eyes on social media for a special discount code that we'll be announcing soon fansets we are star trek and as always we thank our friends at fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire second season of discovering trek of all the souls i have encountered in my travels his was the most human Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And I'm going to ask our very special guest, Haley, to start this week with her thoughts uh, on this uh, very family-centric episode. Haley.
2: You know, it's interesting that you talk about family-centric. I didn't necessarily pull that out of this episode. Hmm. Um, what I got from it was that we all have this we all have this sense of belonging and purpose. And um I think this episode shows that even though we've got the Federation, we've got these um different races in the Federation and then we have the Klingons. They all still have that sense of belonging and purpose. Um and that they're all fighting for it. Um they're all fighting for the same thing, even though it means a little bit different for each of them. Um, and I can put it to us since we're the only humanoids on our planet, um, supposedly in our solar system, we don't know. We look for that sense of belonging and purpose in our lives and, um, we don't all go about it the same way. Um, the end goal is still the same.
1: You know, as I watched this week, I kept thinking about another special episode of a different Star Trek series. Uh, It's one that's always been a fan favorite because it deals with the same thing that this week's episode dealt with to me, and that's family. Strangely enough, the episode itself is called Family from TNG's fourth season. Uh, It's been almost 30 years since that episode aired, and it still rings true. Uh, And even if the theme is updated for a new show in 2019, that idea is still the same. While the storylines may be different, you know, John Luke was dealing with his brother after the Borg incident, and Wesley was dealing with the memories of his dad, and Worf was having his adoptive parents visit him on the ship, the underlying theme of these episodes have so much in common. Through everything, there's always family. It doesn't have to be blood family either. While blood family is always important, as we saw with Laurel and Tyler, and now realizing with their child, or whether it's Amanda and how she raised Spock, and she regrets... The things that she may have done. That family bond is always there, but also look at Tilly and Burnham and how they've evolved, and Burnham and Saru, for that matter. You don't have to have the same DNA to be family. It's more than that. It's what's in your heart, as Burnham seems to now realize when it comes to what happened with Spock. Whatever trials and tribulations we humans or Klingons may go through, we can always fall back on family. I almost lost my family once, and for a while I did lose a brother that I'm so happy that I now get to share these podcasts with. I got them back. Then I got a new family, my Star Trek family, and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world.
0: Bill? Jesus, you're going to lay that on me right before I have to do mine? I need Kleenex. (laughs) Well, you know, family certainly is a theme, but more specifically, motherhood is certainly a theme this week. We see the actions of a mother who will do anything to protect her son, and a mother who detaches from her son to give birth to an empire. You know, Amanda steals encrypted medical records and tries to enlist help to prove Spock's innocence, while Laurel has to let go of Volk, whom she loves, and her infant child to protect her infant empire. Two very different women making difficult choices to protect and preserve their families, as moms all over the world do each and every day. It made me think of my mom. My mom who worked second shift in a factory when I was a kid. You know, she'd get up every day and she'd see the kids off to school all nine of us And then she'd take a nap before getting up around lunchtime to make dinner for us Which one of my sisters would then have to put in the oven when we get home And then she'd go to work after I got home from school at the end of her shift She'd come home after a long day Long after I was in bed and she'd do three loads of laundry a night And then she'd start that very same process the next day all week long You know my mom passed away a little over a year and a half ago when I think of her and and how amazingly strong she was quite often She like Amanda and like Laurel had amazing challenges before her and she did everything she could for her family So my humanity this week is this if you can call your mom She may not have stolen medical records for you or launched an empire on your behalf But she's done some pretty amazing things just to get you right here right now. So call her
2: Commendation,
1: palm leaf of Axanar peace mission, grand kite order of tactics, class of excellence, terrace ribbon of commendation. Okay, Haley and Bill, it's time for some awards. Fun part of the show this week. Let's see uh, what you picked to receive your Starfleet commendations. Haley, what you got?
2: Uh, I think this will forever be mine. So if you ever have me on again, uh, Captain Pike. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that uh, I'm definitely uh, hashtag in it for Pike. So um, I really enjoy this character and I'm so excited for him every single time he's on screen. I appreciate and love that he's got this relaxed but a commanding presence when he's on screen. Um, He is the captain that I would follow on an away mission or into battle. Um, And every week I'm amazed Uh, by the portrayal of Pike that we see from Anson Mount. Um, I want to thank both him and the writers for bringing this character to life um, in what Anson has said is the second act of Pike. Um, I have to say, uh, you know, he had a couple lines this week that I just absolutely loved. Um, You know, he talked and he said, if I did, uh, I would be in violation of the rules and my mother wouldn't like that. You know, he says to Tilly... How about we marry some folks even if they're not into that into each other. That was awesome.
0: That
2: was great. You know, and uh so yeah, he's he's my one for this week cuz I just I really appreciate this character. I've always wanted more of him since the cage and and we're getting that and I love it.
1: Anson Mount is awesome. Anson's not on my list this week, but he is, a, he is an integral part of the season. He's been on my last two. I had a couple others this week that I wanted to throw in there just to throw a little bit of variety in. Uh, first of all, I got I to give props to Ken Mitchell. Uh, I As I said earlier, I was shocked and I was jubilant when I discovered that he was playing Cole's father when he himself played Cole. I thought it was great. I love the look of Cole Shaw. Uh, it was awesome to have this great mix of Klingons that we're familiar with and the Klingons that we saw last season. And I hope, as, Ken, as uh, Bill mentioned, that we get to see Ken somehow, some way to kind of up – The number of times that he's been on screen and died versus Sam. So I really think that that happens. uh, I really would like to see that happen because I think it would be cool. I also want to give out shouts to Mary Wiseman. I think this was her best performance to date on Discovery. Normally we see that quirky and nervous Tilly. But this week we saw the emotional and stressful and worried version of her. uh, And I thought it worked well we don't need to dissect her to the nth degree to determine if she has a condition on why she's being quirky she's just quirky like any of us can be I'm quirky Bill's quirky Bill's super quirky uh, Haley's quirky we're all quirky it's okay Um, this week we saw the raw and powerful emotion that this character has and the things that she's dealing with and I thought she portrayed them really well but the last thing I want to give props to this week and a commendation to is actually a multi um, there's a few of them but it's all in the same context is the visuals that we saw there were subtle things in this week's episode that I loved. I loved the Klingon D7. I already talked about that. I thought it was absolute writing perfection that we saw pink Klingon blood, which we haven't seen in a long time. It's always been a question because of what we saw in Star Trek VI, and the reason that they did it was because of the movie rating, but I thought it was great that they brought that in. It's another little writing element that is, that is excellent. Uh, they, maybe the different houses have different blood materials. Who knows? But I like that we saw that. I liked the hollow communication scene between Vernham and Tyler because at one point we saw her in her quarters and him in his chamber and it was mashed together as kind of one set instead of seeing one person in a hologram and the other person solid and vice versa. I thought that was really good. And the other thing that I liked, which I really thought was cute and just a tiny, tiny thing, is all since Discovery started, whenever the Klingons were talking in Klingon, we saw the English subtitles so that we could see what they were saying unless you know Klingon. At one point in this episode, when Laurel was talking in Klingon, we saw those English uh, subtitles, and then it morphed, so she was talking in, in uh, English, but we saw Klingon subtitles on screen, and I just thought that was awesome. Those are my commendations this week. Bill, what do you got, buddy?
0: Kid Lich! <laughs> no, I just had to get What's one you? more in for my average. Which in translation and Klingon is? <laughs> Actually, no. That was just getting my average up for that. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> for those people playing the drinking game at home. Uh, I have a, a couple of quick uh, commendations this week, and one that I'm adding on the fly, the first of which is to 2D communication. That's right. Chris Pike uses a view screen to mm-hmm. talk to somebody on Starbase 5 instead of a hollow communicator, and they called it out in context of the script, woohoo! Love I it. was so very was psyched. Great. very nice. It was just a nice touch. Uh, secondly, Olatunde uh, um I love this guy's work. This is a solid episode. It has some gorgeous shots and camera work in this episode. Some of the best of the entire series. Uh, my hat is off to Olatunde. He keeps turning in fantastic work on Discovery every time he's in the director's chair, and he's become one of my favorite directors in the process.
1: Bill, before you go on to your next thing, one of the things I want to I want to play on that really quick is those camera shots. A lot of times when they came into Discovery, the camera was sideways or the camera was upside down. I, th- I really like that. Did you uh, – Haley's shaking her head. I don't think she liked
0: that. <laughs> I'm talking about the one specifically toward the end of the episode where they start off on the top of Laurel's head. And they mm. come over. Mm. And then you get to move around and see her point of view. I thought that was one of the the, the most beautifully constructed shots. And the, the hollow communication scene between Burnham and Tyler. I thought that was visually some of the most beautiful work of the series. Um, gotcha. So uh, where was I? Oh, that's right. The host interrupted me. <laughs> 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 and then lastly... Uh, Section 31. I gotta tip my hat to them. I'm not as big a Section 31 fan as Dan is, uh, by any means, but we did get a glimpse into what I think a Section 31 show could be like. And uh, I-, I hope that's what it kind of turns out to be on some level, because I dug the little bit that we saw. Long-range scan of planet complete.
1: What's gonna happen next, guys? Here we are, long-range scans. Uh, whether it's just in an episode or later on down the season, I- <laughs> i i i I don't even want to start with me because I, I bill
0: <laughs> oh wow, pressure's on now uh, absolutely all right my my long range scan this week because i mean i've I've had some pretty big ones the last couple of weeks, which yeah. we're going to see if they pan out later, but I think that section thirty one is also investigating the seven signals, and unlike our intrepid starfleet crew, I think they actually know what they are that's my long range scan. Dun dun dun. Should, uh, well, maybe is
1: that a dun dun dun, or is that a, oh, we'll see. We'll see. Either way, <laughs> yeah. Haley, do you have anything for uh, upcoming long range scans?
2: Uh, I kind of struggled with this because, I mean, we know so much of some stuff that's going to happen, whether it's the next episode or later on in the season. Um, One thing I will say, uh, I'm going to go with Pike's still going to be in the captain's chair of Discovery. Um, Saru will maybe share it with him still. Um, But for pretty much all, if not most, of season two. Um, I think towards the end, we are finally going to get to Vulcan, where they pick up their new captain, and Stamets goes off to the Vulcan of Science Academy. And then I think Reno's going to come back, and she's going to be the chief engineer of Discovery. <laughs> I know, I'm <laughs> sorry. sorry. <Bill.
0: laughs> I, I did see the the brief glimpse of in the in the preview for this coming week. I... Uh, let's hope the character is written slightly differently from my perspective
2: (laughs) see and I, I think that's I think that is the case I think if they do make her a regular and as the chief engineer or at least a somewhat more regular character I think they will change the writing um I think the comedy will still be there, but I think I think part of why maybe you didn't like it so much was there was so much comedy in that episode. Uh,
0: I think so, but also because it wasn't really a stretch. It wasn't somebody portraying uh, Jet Reno. It was somebody. It was Tignataro being Tignataro, and I wanted something gotcha. more from Star Trek than stunt casting. You know what I mean?
2: And I think that could be with writing. I think yeah. they can make it better. but yeah. I think that's a possibility. Yeah, same here.
1: All right. Well. Here we go. I think the child of Laurel and Tyler Ash is actually the albino from DS9's Blood Oath. Uh, You know, in that story, Kor, Kang, and Koloth are looking for revenge for the deaths of their sons, and they were killed because supposedly the three warriors destroyed the albino's power plant back in the day. Um, So I think actually the albino found out about what Kol did in this episode, and since Kol is actually of the house Kor. Use the power plant destruction as a ruse when he really just wanted revenge for kidnapping and the attempted assassination of mummy and daddy. I really don't mean that. It's just I don't have anything this week, but I just wanted to throw something out there.
0: (laughs) You're honest. We appreciate that.
1: (laughs) So, Bill, we saw the coming attractions for next week, and it looks a
0: little bit ominous uh, to say the least. Uh, Dan, it absolutely does. Next week, we're going to consider the fourth outing of Star Trek Discovery's sophomore season, an episode entitled An Obol for Sharon." Interesting. And on top of that, we're going to be joined by our dear friend Barry DeFord from the Tricorder Transmissions podcast. until then remember that you can subscribe to discovering trek by searching for us on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts or by heading on over to DiscoveringTrek.com. and wherever you listen we would love it if you'd rate and review the podcast that will help other star trek discovery fans find the show plus now you can support the newly formed trek geeks network by subscribing to bonus content via patreon there you can see our special annual supporters pin something we're really excited about the official Podfleet t-shirt, and I'll, plus you can get special access to Dan and I on Discord and so many other perks, Dan.
1: Yeah, and speaking of Patreon, Bill, we want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marshan, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Holloran, Chris Tribuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia. And Patrick Escudero, an amazing list of people, and we cannot thank them enough uh, for their support of Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks. Bill?
0: Absolutely. We're so grateful to them. If you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or find other ways to support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks.
1: Haley? It's uh, great to have you here for a second time here on Discovering Trek. I have a feeling it will not be the last. We always appreciate everything that you do uh, for us, for the network, for the shows. We love you. We love what you are doing over there on Standard Orbit. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, please tell everyone where they can find you in all the various places online.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you guys again for having me, uh, despite the early uh, roll call. (laughs) Um... Yeah. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. You can also find me on Camp Kidmer over on Facebook. I am also there. Uh, You can listen to me over on Standard Orbit every week over on Trek FM where I talk about the original series. There was a lot of original series ties into this episode. Um, And you can also hear me over on Discoville on the Phantom Podcast Network where we talk about the Orville and Discovery
0: you are busy. Yeah.
1: I am Lots busy. What's going on. And I got to say, it's a heavy Haley week here on the Trek Geeks podcast network because as people will see when they download their Trek Geeks this week, you are a guest on this week's episode with us talking about religion on Deep Space Nine as a special crossover to Standard Orbit where we talked about godlike beings on TOS. So y- there's a lot of Haley going on right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there definitely is. Uh, that episode was really fun. I'm very excited to hear... Uh, what people have to say about the topic. It was it was a great discussion.
1: Yeah, we had a great time. Thank you so much for joining us on both shows.
2: Yeah, thank you. Well,
1: folks, uh, that's going to do it for us in our discussion on Point of Light. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and what you thought about this episode of Discovering Trek as well. You know, I love the unfolding of the storylines this week, and we feel, uh, and I feel that we have a lot of things to digest uh, in what we're going to see in the coming weeks, and we are just so humbled that you all take time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about it all the time. We look forward to sitting down again with you next week to talk about episode four and what the next chapter of this mystery has in store for us. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Captain James T. Kirk. Our species can only survive if we have obstacles to overcome. Without them to strengthen us, we will weaken and die. And until next week, never stop discovering.
2: Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.